Good morning. Such a friendly group. Um, the uh, conversation that we're going to have today was it's a little it was a little a little challenging because the last time we spoke, Keith kind of gave me like license. He said, "Well, you know, talk about something you want to talk about." So that that was fairly easy, although I was nervous getting up here. But today, he said he really wanted to continue with the sermon series. So he kind of led me to basically, you know, if you can talk about something along the lines of worship. So he asked for a rough outline, so I've, I've kind of been pigeonholed into, the, into this slot. So maybe a little, a little challenging, but um, it's great fun. It's great fun. So we're going to say a short prayer, and then we're going um, to have a conversation. Thank you, Lord, for this time together, and, and I just pray, Father, your spirit would be here amongst us, that um, you would speak to us, Father, and we thank you for who and what you are. Amen. So as we get started, I kind of like to spend just a few minutes reviewing, because this is session number three, and if I look at just, uh, um, you know, the first two sessions that we've had with Keith, the first session he talked about was more or less like, whom do we worship? That was the first conversation, the first sermon he had, whom do we worship? And basically, Keith focused on the many attributes of God. And he focused on that, that first Sunday, being like, you know, holiness, his holiness, his power, his creativity, all those various attributes as a provider. He had that conversation in a, in a first session. And then his second session, uh, I want to just, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to sort of, we're going to jump around a bit. I'm going to have some PowerPoint scriptures up there, but not fully. So I'm going to kind of ask you to run around a little bit in the Bible, which is always a good exercise, by the way. It's always a good exercise. You know, you can, oh, I got to find that spot. So anyway, briefly, I just want to go back to John. So some of you would like to turn, you can. We're going to go back to John 4, which was his conversation uh, last Sunday with the Samaritan woman. Of course, I'm going to get there faster than you guys because I've got my blue postums in my Bible. So I'll give you a few, few minutes to catch up. But it'll be John 4, 19 through 23. And this is very familiar to you all. Uh, you remember last week he spoke on this. And I'll just read it real quickly here. So he had this conversation with this woman from Samaria. And, and in verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that, in, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, "Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know. For salvation is from the Jews. For an hour is coming, and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth." For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship, notice this word, keep repeating the word worship, 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 that him must worship in spirit and truth. And so, so here we have, that, we have that dialogue where the Samaritans think they should be worshiping in a certain place on this mountain, the mountain of uh, Gizran, and then the Druze, feel like they should be mount, worshiping in Jerusalem. And the significance of that conversation, that sermon last week with Pastor Keith is, is that it's no longer a place. 
It's no longer a place. We don't have to go to anywhere to do it. Jesus has now ushered in a new thing. And the new thing is wherever you are, wherever you are, it doesn't matter where you are, you are able to worship in the Spirit. Think about this for a minute. Think about the significance of that. Up until this time, for thousands of years, everyone was always going to a place, a temple. Now Jesus says, we no longer have to do that. He doesn't have to do it. So we, as the new, the, 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 the believers and as Gentiles, the church, we now can worship wherever we are. It's freeing. So we can do all those things. So basically, I'm going to ask you to jump around a little bit more. Becomes buildings now become irrelevant. So quickly, we're just going to look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians uh, 6.16. 2 Corinthians 6.16. Again, nothing's up on the screen yet. We'll get there in a few minutes. But 2 Corinthians 6.16 says this. Okay? Give you guys a few seconds to get there. 2 Corinthians 6.16. Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said... I will dwell in them and walk among them. Just reemphasizing this idea of we don't, we are now the temple. We're now the temple. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to go to Mount Gizram. We're the temple. We are that place for worship. And then John 14, 23. John 14, 23. Okay? John 14, 23. And this kind of reemphasizes the same point. John 14, 23. See, I had you jumping around a little bit. I hear, the page, I hear the pages turning. That's great. I hear the pages turning. John 14, 23 says this. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Right? In, comes right into us. So that was the, that's, a sum, that's a summation of the second sermon. I just like to always like bring us up to date as to like where we've been and now where we're going. So our third conversation, the third, the third sermon today is going to be about we're created to worship. We're created to worship. And what are the things that we need to do in order to get right to worship? And so we'll start out. Okay, great. We can start now with, our, with our, our slides. And here it is. Basically, is what is required for us to worship? What is required for us to worship? Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. We're going to park ourselves in Malachi. So everybody find Malachi. I'm going to have a lot of these verses up on the screen. But we're going to park ourselves in Malachi. If you don't know where it is, it's the very last book in the Old Testament. It's a minor prophet. Okay, it's a minor prophet. Okay, and again, it's basically reasons why what is required of us to worship. So I've got it right up on the screen there. And the first requirement, the first requirement, and I'm going to always bring us back to what the what we're talking about. What is always going to, there's going to be five to six reasons that are requirements for us to worship. The first one is that we have to understand that God loves us. We have to understand that God loves us. And look at this verse right here, Malachi 1-2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, 
how hast thou loved us? Now, let me just give you a little background on Malachi. Malachi is a minor prophet. It is the last book of the Old Testament. After Malachi, there's this 400 years of silence before John the Baptist comes on the scene. But Malachi basically is a contemporary to the time of Nehemiah. And there was, at the time, they're rebuilding the temple, they're rebuilding the walls, they're restoring Jerusalem, and there is spiritual apathy. There is spiritual apathy. In other words, people are just not really paying attention to worship. And so Malachi, throughout this book, is, is, is basically pleading with the people to, God's working through the prophet to restore the idea of worship. Because they haven't been doing it. They haven't been doing it. They've been in exile with the Persians. They've been in exile. Think about this. They've been in exile for a long period of time. Now Nehemiah goes back. They're going to rebuild Jerusalem, the temple, and they're not, they have to be reschooled. They have to be reschooled. And Ezra does that. Ezra does that along with Nehemiah. But then there's a time of apathy, and <clears throat> basically Malachi is basically getting on her case. And that's why we're going to, we're going to look at Malachi over and over again. So you park yourself at Malachi and stay there, okay? Let me get myself there also, okay? And so that's what we have. So then what we're going to do at, we're going to move on to the second slide here, okay? And we're going to look at the prophet Hosea, okay? Look at the prophet Hosea. I don't know why this has happened to me. We talked about last few weeks ago the prophet of Obadiah, now I'm hitting Malachi. Now it's Hosea. I don't know what's going on. But it just seems to want to flow in this direction because the last time we spoke was Obadiah. Now, here's another thing I want to, have, I want to mention to you. Each prophet has an audience. Very important to understand. And a prophet is speaking to a, a particular group of people about something. So if you remember... The last time, it was Obadiah speaking to the nation of Edom about pride. We had that. We talked about that. But now, 75 years later, we have Hosea, and he's speaking to Israel, and he's speaking about a very significant thing. Israel has not loved God. Israel has not loved God. So Hosea, the prophet, is commanded to take Gomer as his wife. And this, as this story unfolds, it mirrors God and Israel. Because uh, Hosea is asked to take Gomer, his wife, who goes astray as a prostitute. And God continues to tell Hosea, you need to continue to love her regardless. So Gomer is Israel, Hosea is God. God's always pursuing Israel, even though they've gone astray. And that's what this book is about. Okay? So basically, uh, let me give myself to Jose also. So we have it here, and you'll see here that he's loving someone who has been unfaithful. So if you want to turn to Hosea for a second, everybody's there on Hosea? Look at the, look at chap, we're going to stay right here with this, this slide. Look at verse 2 in chapter 1 of Hosea. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. Just what I spoke about. He's commanding to do that. And then the rest of the book, 
goes through, you know, his struggle. And then look at, if you just take a page to the right, just skip to the right a little bit, go to chapter 3, verse 1. He actually, Hosea actually, he actually has a second marriage vow to the same woman. He's reminded about for God, and in that first verse, then the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raising cakes. In other words, the Lord is telling Hosea, you need to have a second ceremonial marriage with Gomer. So in other words, a second marriage, just to remind yourself of your commitment. So this is what this book of Hosea is about. So let's go on to the next slide. Okay. So Hosea has three children. If you look there in chapter 1 of Hosea, Hosea has three children representing God's disgust with Israel's lack of love toward him. And these three children, if you look here in that first chapter, the first child is Jezreel, the second child is Lo-Remeha, and the third one is Lo-Am-I. Now, what's really interesting is that there's significance. I didn't realize this, but we actually have significance in all our names. And there's significance in each one of these names. And so God basically, when he asked, he told Hosea to name his children, he names his children Jezreel, which means judgment. Judgment. His second child, Lomeha, is no more mercy. No more mercy. And the third, not my people. Think about that. Think about that. Can you imagine, like, getting up in the morning? Hosea's getting up in the morning, right? He's got the kids around. They've got to get stuff together. He goes, hey, judgment, get over here. Have you done your homework yet? No, I haven't done my homework. All right. Hey, no more mercy. No more mercy. Get over here. Get over here, more mercy. What have you been doing lately? You've been behaving yourself. You haven't done your chores. Or not my people. Hey, not my people. Come over here, not my people. He's constantly reminded, and so are the people around them of who Hosea. It's humiliating. It's humiliating. How about Hosea when he's walking the streets and everybody knows that his wife's a prostitute? And he's got to bear up under that. This prophet has to bear up under that because he, God is using him as an example of what Israel's like to God that relationship. And so all these names have meanings. So I thought about this for a minute this morning. I actually looked up, I have three sons. I looked up my middle, my middle name son, my middle son's name is Jack. And I didn't really know what it meant. I mean, I don't know if you know what it means, but it, I looked it up. Jack in English means God is gracious. So I'm going to see him later on today. I'm going to say, Hey, God is gracious. He's probably going to be like, well, what are you talking about? I said, that's your name. That's your name. God is gracious. So these are the names of these people, and they're, they're children. And so that's what we have here. So what is wrong going on in Israel? What is wrong? Well, what's wrong is they've been, God has been rejected for idols. God's been rejected for idols. That's what's going on. Okay? There's sin in the land. There's sin in the land. And they're having difficulty hearing God. Think about that. Now, this is worship now. I'm going to always bring us back to what, what, we're, what we're talking about. It's worship. And so if we're having trouble listening to God with worship, I thought about this. What, ha, why, what gives us trouble today 
in listening to God. I thought about that for a moment. I thought to myself, well, the busyness of life. I hate that when people say, yep, everyone says that now. I know you're busy. I know you're busy. Or, I'm, well, I've been so busy. Isn't it like it's, it's just, you know, it's everybody's saying that now. That's just not a good thing. That's just not a good thing. Being busy is going to be a barrier to a difficulty in listening to God in order for us to worship. So we may have to take a proactive stance on maybe being less busy. Maybe it's going to have to be a concerted effort to say, you know what, I'm going to choose to be a little less busy. I might not schedule something today. I might try to like reduce my schedule so that I can listen to God and then subsequently I'm going to be able to worship. That might be something that we can do. Okay? And also just technology. Technology is killing us. It's another barrier to listening to God because we can always be looking at the machine, listening to something, and that might be a barrier and a difficulty in hearing what God has to say and then not being able to worship. So those are just some things to think about. Okay? So let's go on to the fourth slide. Okay? Now I've got some verses here for you so you can relax. So here, though rejected, God, looks at we're still on that subject of love. We're still on the subject of love. Though rejected, God yearns for love. In Hosea 11, it says, When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing the bowels and burning incense to idols. It is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. So here, the word they is referring to the prophets. All throughout the centuries, the prophets have been calling them back, and God is basically saying, they have continually rejected me, even though I love them. And so that's the message here. God loves us, and we need to respond in worship because of his love for us. Because of his love for us. Okay? So let's go on to number five. Okay? So overall, here's the message. Hosea, Hosea pursued Gomer as God pursues us. It's called the Hound of Heaven. There's actually a poem. It's a great poem. It's too long to recite. But it's called the Hound of Heaven. You look it up when you go home. Just Google Hound of Heaven. Right? And it's God's pursuit for man. God's pursuit for man. He pursues us. In the book of Hosea, as Hosea pursued Gomer, who turned his back, she turned his back, her back on him as a prostitute, and we turn our backs on God, the hound of heaven, God pursues each and every one of us out here. He's constantly pursuing us, after us. That's his nature. He loves us. And so out of that love, what do we do? We respond in worship. Therefore, we cannot worship God if we don't love him. Love for Jesus leads us to worship. It's an emotion. So that's the first point I want to make. Number one about worship is our response to him is to love him. Okay? 
So let's go to number two. Number two reason, which will be the next slide. Okay, number two, we have to give God honor. We have to give honor. Let's look at these verses right here. Again, they're up there for you. Okay? Malachi 1.6, a son honors his father and his servant, his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? I mean, these people are so clueless that they're, not, they're, not, they're actually asking, wait a minute, how have we done this? How have we done this? Remember, this whole book of Malachi, he's trying to wrap them upside the head. Okay? So, I thought about this, too, for a reason. You must honor God. You know, what I've been doing lately, and I don't know why I do this. It's kind of like, I probably shouldn't be doing it at my age, but my son, my two sons, we, my, all my sons went to Point Beach High School. So, we kind of have a family connection there, you know? And I have three sons, so there was a near at Point Beach High School for like 12 years. But they're long gone. But they, um, uh, they, they have a connection there. So this past winter, uh, every Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock, there was a basketball, playing basketball. So the teachers would get together with some former students and stuff like that. So my two sons invited me. They said, hey, Dad, you should come out and play basketball on Tuesday mornings at 6 o'clock in the morning. So I'm like, all right, 6 o'clock in the morning, it's kind of early, but I'll go. So I get there, and I'm playing, um, you know, these guys are all hanging out, and, like, everyone's under 35, and I'm, like, 62. So it's like, whoa, you know, this would have been great, like, 20 years ago, but maybe I'm going to have a little bit of problems. So anyway, the first thing I do when I get there, I, I played every Tuesday through the winter, but the first thing that was always on my mind after the first couple of weeks, I was always hoping that there would be an odd number of people. Very important. Very important. Because an odd number of pe- people meant I could substitute out. So I'd, count, I'd get in there and count and go, oh, there's 11. Oh, great, thank you. So I could go out there and play for a few minutes and just wave my hand. The other guy would come in who's younger and he'd play for a longer period of time. I could catch my breath and go back in again. But sometimes there was an even number. And I had to play the entire 45, 50 minutes. It was rough. But something really interesting happened. It has to do with honor honor now. They would call me Mr. Neary. Now these are all four, these are all new teachers since my kids were there. These are all new teachers. Those, that group of teachers have gone, because my sons have been out at Point, Point Beach for like 10 to 12 years now. So it's a whole new group of younger teachers. They're all like in their 30s, early 30s. They call me Mr. Neary. Hey Mr. Neary, good to see you Mr. And my impulse, my impulse was to say, and I, I caught myself my impulse was to say, no, no, you can call me Bruce. And I stopped. I stopped and I said, you know what? They should call me Mr. Neary. Because you know what? I'm 62 years old. <laughs> I've been around a long time. And I said to myself, they can call me Mr. Neary all they want. That's good. I'm okay with that. And then I thought, wait a minute. God wants us to honor him by honoring him, by not just saying, oh, he's God, or he's this, he's that. He wants us to honor him because of who he is. Just like they're going to honor me for who I am as an older man. That's all it is. Just an older guy. 
right? It's nothing special, but it's a, it's a respect. But God wants us to honor him because of who he is. So that's the second thing that we want to, we want to talk about, okay? Second reason, okay? Must honor him. So let's look at the third one, okay? Let's look at the third one. What is required of us to worship? First one's love. Second one's honor. Third one, there must be sacrifice. We've got to sacrifice a little bit. Look at this verse here. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? So here they go again. You know? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame, the sick, is it not evil? Why not offer that to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly? In other words, their sacrifice at the temple was junk. Look at that. Blind animals, sick and lame, all that kind of stuff. And then he's basically saying, hey, how do you think the governor, your governor responded to this? He'd probably throw you out if you gave it to the governor. But here I am, God. I'm way higher than him. And so this is, the, this is what they're doing here. This idea of, 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 uh, of basically this, this idea of sacrifice. Okay? This idea of sacrifice. So animals are not being choice. And then if we look at uh, the basically, I personally, for me, and I look at this sacrifice thing, how many of you, when we have our Lord's Supper, which would be, contempor- would be uh, the same as this type of event, bringing sacrifices, every first Sunday of every month we have the Lord's Supper, right? We come, we have the bread, the wine. I thought about that for a minute. I said to myself, you know, sometimes my mind wanders a lot. Like, I'm thinking about, like, what I'm going to do tomorrow, on Monday. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, am I really sacrificing my time and thoughts when my mind is wandering about, okay, I've got to do this tomorrow. I've got to make sure we, you know, load up the truck with mulch and whatever I've got to do. You know, I'm thinking about that while we're having the Lord's Supper. My mind is wandering. And so we've got to be careful, too, that when we, have that, when we have the Lord's Supper and we're doing the sacraments, you know, we also want to be properly sacrificing by really giving our attention to the Lord, right? It's very important. So if we go back, just quickly, we'll just stay here for a minute, but just turn to Matthew 21. Just turn to Matthew 21. You're all familiar with this. Turn to Matthew 21. Okay? This is where in verse 12, Jesus cleanses the temple, remember? In verse 12 of chapter 21, I'll just read it for you because it's not up on the screen. And Jesus entered the temple and cast all of them out for buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a house of robber's den. So basically, Jesus chastised them for basically not giving their best. So here's the point. Here's the point. If we're going to worship, we're going to love, we're going to have, give a God honor, we're going to love God, we're going to give honor, we're going to sacrifice. And how do we sacrifice? We sacrifice with the things that are really important to us. Right? And some of those things that are really important to us are, like, what's in my back pocket? 
My finances, right? My finances. How about our time? Our energy? Those are all sacrificial, right? But here's one that I want to challenge you with that maybe you haven't thought of. We need to give God a sacrificial on our thinking. Where does your mind go during the day? My mind during the day can go to some places that are not valued, not valuable. I might be listening to nonsense. And that's okay. That's okay. Because God is gracious and he's okay with that. He's like, Bruce, I get it, you know. But at the same time, where are we going as far as what we're thinking about during the course of the day? You would be sacrificing this idol for the fact that am I thinking upon things that are godly? Am I listening to possibly some podcasts or some Christian music and things like that throughout my day that occupies proper thinking? That's an act of sacrifice. So these are all, this is this, this idea of this third reason, uh, what, we, what we need to do to really worship. Okay? Let's go to the fourth reason. What is required of us to worship? Okay? Our motivation must be correct. Got to have the right motivation. It can't be fake. And so look at Malachi again. Remember, I told you to park in Malachi. So we're kind of like hanging out in here and then we're dancing around. But we're always coming back. And in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 10, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. So here, in number five, we just got to make sure that our service and our worship isn't stale. Because look what he says here. But if you look at that verse, basically they were just going through the motions. Look what it says there, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. Like they're just going through the motions here, and they were just basically coming in, doing their thing, you know, Okay, you got, we, got, we, we did our 20-minute slot, and they're basically going back out, and it was just spiritual apathy. They're just going through the motions. Okay? So they're going through the motions. And so basically what we want to remind is, are we, this is a hard thing sometimes, but are we willing to have change occasionally during our service? Because it's kind of hard. Look, at everybody's sitting in the same spot. I sit in the same spot. If I'm not sitting in that spot right there, I'm over there, I'm, 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 I'm all like, whoa, what's going on? Right? And you're all the same way. Don't lie. You're all the same way. So change is hard, right? Change is hard. So at the same time, though, when we offer change and things are going to be different, we have to remember something. We have a habit a fallen nature, a condition, a disruption in the fact that we don't want to change. It is not a good thing. Okay? The unwillingness to change can be a symptom of pride. But change is necessary. You know why? Because if we don't change, then we're not motivated. We get stale. So... 
So when you when we hear about change, we have to be open to it because it's placing us in a better place to ultimately worship. Not because like, oh man, I can't believe these guys are doing this. You know, what what is they changed the chairs on us, or they did this or that, or they're not having worship today. You know that that kind of thing. You know, what's it all about? But if we understand the fact that change is going to be beneficial to us because it keeps us out of a routine and we are fallen. And a routine is a bad thing for us. And so we have to remember that in our motivation. Okay? Good. So let's go on to the fifth reason. Again, PowerPoint has the same title at the top. What is required of us to worship? So love, honor, right? Sacrifice, motivation. And the next one, the fifth one, is you need to be, we need to be instructed on the truth. Oh, that's a great one. We're going we're gonna to park at the truth for a while. This is one of my, this is going to be great. We're going to park here for a little bit. Let's read Malachi 2.7. For the lips of the priest should preserve knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So here you have it. We have to be instructed in the truth in order to properly worship God. So quickly, we're going to stay right here. We're all going to turn to Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12. If you're having trouble finding Philippians, it's General Electric Power Company. It always helps me. General Electric Power Company. Okay? See it? Okay, General Electric Power Company. I always use that. Okay, let's just look at Philippians 2.12. Real quick. We're going to unpack this verse a little bit about truth. Okay? Philippians 2.12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Very important verse. Work it out. Now, that is an ongoing process. But what does it mean? I'd like to, call, I'd like to mention a couple things. What is your design? We know God's a designer. Look at the trees. Look at the stars. Look at nature. I mean, I'm into, I'm into nature. I'm involved with nature. I work in nature. I see it all the time. God's design is amazing. So you're designed. You're designed. Now, let's think about this for a minute. If you're partic- if you're, if we can assume, this is about truth now. If we can assume that you, God made everything intimately, cellularly, I mean, he's holding things together. If he's doing all these things, and you are particularly designed, okay, and then the question needs to be asked, what are you designed for, for his kingdom? That's an important question to ask. What have you been designed to do? So because when we want to worship in truth, we need to understand the truth, and we need to understand what God has done for us, and, and 
how we've been made and what are we to do. So what is your, what is your design? So I challenge you this week to just sit back and kind of look back on your life and see how God has orchestrated things for you. What his, what has he done that has brought you to this place that you have been designed and made to do what? Ultimately, I believe that I've been designed and made to stand here before you. And I take this all seriously. As I look back at my life, this is near, I mean, I'm 62. How much longer do I have? You know, I'm near the end, you know, well, I'm, I'm ender, <laughs> ender. But anyway, so I take, I look at, I take stock as, remember we talked about thinking, I take stock and say, look, this is, this is where he wants me to be right now. So that's working out your salvation. Work out your salvation. How have you been shaped? How have you been shaped throughout your life? These are important things, okay? So we can only worship in truth, but we need to know the truth about what God has done for us and who and what we are, okay? So let's go on to the sixth and final reason, okay? Sixth and final reason. What is required of us to worship? Okay, and you have to give up your will for God's will. You should probably put down God's will. I'll do that when I get home because I like to keep these, these PowerPoints. You have to give up your will for God's will. In other words, you have to give up your pride for God's, for God's will. So we're going to look at a really cool story. I'm really particularly excited about this. Like, I'm generally excited. But I'm really excited about this part. Because we're going to look at the story of Naaman and his servant. And the encounter with the prophet Elisha. So take a minute. Go to 2 Kings. Okay. Go to 2 Kings. Okay. 2 Kings. Take your time. Second Kings five. We're gonna. Re- I'm gonna read. It's not on the. It's not there. I'm gonna read to you chapter verses one through fourteen. This is a great story. If you're not familiar with the story, it's awesome. It's about the struggle of will. The struggle of will. So remember now. Now we're, where are we going here? These are the things that we need to do in order to properly worship God. We've we've got to correct ourselves. See, look, we have to do a correction. Because we're, we're fallen, man. We're, the DNA is messed up. I don't know how it happened. I always think about that too, you know. Like when sin occurred in Genesis and, you know, what, what did God do? Like was there gravity then? I think about that. Was there gravity? You know, was gravity a result of the sin world? You know, what, what you, know, you know, were mutations and things like that? Uh, in, improper DNA, problems with our DNA. Is that a result of the, the sin that befell us? I believe it is. And so the sin condition that we have is, is a problem that we have to counter. So in order for us to properly worship God, we've got to know he loves us. We've got to worship him with sacrifice. We've got to honor his name. We've got to do all these things because you know why? Because we can't really do it. We have to be reminded all the time. And God puts these verses in the Old Testament, these prophets in there, to kind of remind us of like, hey, guys, you know what? You are, you are problematic. 
So I need to do these things for you. So we're going to look at the last one. And the last one is we've got to give up our, your will for God's will. So let's look at this guy. Let's look at this character, Naaman. I'm going to read, I'm going to read out loud. You guys follow along. Now, Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected because of him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. And the man is also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now, the Armenians had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. So she became a servant of the household. And he said to his, her, her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Hey, thus and thus spoke the girl who is, said, who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten chains of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may cure him of leprosy. Okay? And it came about when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes. And he said, and he said Am I God? To kill and to make alive? That this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking a quarrel against me. The king's upset about this. He's like, what? What am I going to do about this? I can't believe he's doing this. I'm having a really good day right now. Everything's going great. I get this letter. I get this letter. It's bad. I'm having a bad day now. Okay? So as it happened, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king saying, Hey, why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and you shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So that's Elisha's like, Whoa, I'm going to use this opportunity, right? So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway. Now check this out. Watch this. This is where it gets really interesting. He stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. And Elisha now, really important here what he does, he sends a messenger to him. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Now, he doesn't even see the guy himself. Like, he sends a messenger out. And, like, he's, he's hanging out in the house. And he sends this guy out. And at the time, this was extremely disrespectful for a foreign dignitary. If you were a valiant warrior, you know, medal. Think of a guy like today with all these medals and stuff, right? You would come out yourself and greet him. Elisha's not doing that. He's bringing the messenger out. I think that Elisha did this on purpose. No, he did it on purpose. did it on purpose because of the man's pride. And what better way, what better way to deal with a person with pride is to send a messenger to send, have him do something dopey. Right? Go jump and go in the water, right? So then, but Naaman was furious. Look at verse 11. Furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought... He will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Philar, the rivers of Damascus, better 
than these waters of Israel? Now he's making fun of the place. It's like, we got better rivers where I'm from, right? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Rage. Then his servant came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the fresh flesh of a little child, and he was cleaned. And then he returns, praising God. So what can we learn here? So we have that story of Naaman, okay? Um, we can see here, let's go to the next slide, number two, last one. Conclusion, you just see up on the board here. Now, this is an important statement. I'm going to have to repeat it several times because you've got to get it. You've got to get it. Naaman thought, I get this, and we do this too, too now. Remember, we've got to surrender our will for worship. Naaman thought that it's God's way if it's his way also. Think about that statement. I think it's God's will as long as it's my will too. Okay? He, but look what the servant does. Course correction. Course correction. His servant suggested an alternative. Hey, God's way may be the most beneficial for you. Yield to him. So he makes that course correction. So for us to worship properly, we have to slay. I mean slay with a knife, a sword. We have to slay at times our overbearing will to have things our way. Like Naaman. We can, do, we can be Naamans. That can happen to us. So also, if you look at the slide, also worship this is another point I wanted to make. Worship, as we, as we just more or less wrap up here, worship can advance the gospel. This is, this, this is a thought that just came to me this morning as I was getting ready. I thought, I'm going to write one more thing in. Worship can advance the gospel. Because when you think about like what we're doing here, the, there's a world, the world is like contrary to what, what we are. Like they're... They think this is silly. You know, right now, like, there's no truth. Everything, everybody's doing their own thing. I mean, it's crazy out there, right? So, you know, if you look at my point here, I find that few people are convinced of Jesus as a Savior by an argument. Like, I don't know. You just, I haven't won arguments with people like when they, there's a, they have an opposing view and they're, they're dug in. And we're, and we're arguing about Jesus' existence. Sometimes, a lot of times, it just doesn't bring any fruit. But if we worship, people see what we experience. That has power, real power. We don't need to argue. We don't need to. It doesn't mean we don't debate. It doesn't mean that we don't debate. It doesn't mean that we don't look at these things and debate, have conversations. But at the same time, we don't need, arguments may not get us anywhere, but the act of worship, because we're experiencing worship, people see us worshiping. And that, that 
that can advance the gospel because people really respect your actions. They respect your actions. They'll think about that. And that, ex- that, exper- that what we're experiencing, many times the world will see what we're doing. And that just brings me to another, my last point here. Um, just be, you know, in the marketplace when we're talking, you're out there and about. Just be, as we talk about who you are and, and, and worship and your thinking and what you're doing, and your sacrificial thinking, just think about your worldview. You know, think about, we have to have a position for worship. We have, to have, we have to have a position that's right here. We have to be right here. We have to do those things that allow us to worship God, which I just talked about. All those six points is, is all going to be vertical. But then at the same time, we don't want to disengage horizontally with the folks. So as you're going through your day and you're thinking about things, just think about your Think about the, th- the things that you think are, are truthful, which oppose the world's truth. It's called like a Christian worldview. How do you view life? How do you view death? Um, how do you view giving, abortion, creation, how we got here? These are important thoughts and things to marinate in your mind as we as you go forward, because these are the things that, that, look, that's all worship. It's all worship. If you're pondering the things of God and your position and who you are and how you've been designed and how you've been shaped and you reflect on that and you're asking God for your purpose and asking, you are worshiping. You are worshiping. We don't have to come here Sunday. This is glorious. But you could be, we're, wor- we're worshiping throughout the day by those things. By those things. So I hope I haven't gone too long because I was told the last time it was 47 minutes. Precisely 47. Not 46. Not 40, it was 47. They're just trying to dig me. A little bit. But we're going to close right there. I'll close in prayer, and, I'll, and we'll dismiss for the, for the morning. Thank you, Lord, for this time together, this uh, idea of who you are, what we can do, Lord, to get right with you, the things that we need to do, to understand the love that you have for us, to understand that we need to give up our will, Lord, to understand that we have to give you honor and sacrifice and that we need to know the truth about you, Lord. All these reasons for worship, Lord. Amen.